Okay, for our next message, it'll be brought to us by Mr. Matthew Steele, and it is entitled, Salvation's Roadmap. Good afternoon, everyone. I am going to endeavor to um, keep my pants on today. Forgot my belt. So if you see me adjusting, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to stay behind here. You ever been on a camping trip? Who's been on a camping trip? Ooh, that's almost everybody. If you ever been on a camping trip before the days of GPS on your phone? Okay, that's not everybody. I remember going on, well, we, we used to go as a family, we would go on camping for our vacations every year. That was a pretty affordable way of uh, getting out and seeing parts of the country in England and Wales. And Wales was our, our go-to place. Um, in fact, the island of Anglesey, which, Mark, you were, were you born in Anglesey? Is that? Lived there, that's right. That's right. I knew you had a connection there. Very beautiful part of the world. And, um, you know, we would go there quite a lot. But for some reason, every time we'd pack up the car, head on the road, the map changed or something because this paper map would be the source of arguments between my mom and dad. And it would go back and forth between the two of them at the front of the car. But it was an important tool for us to use. And, uh, you know, there would always be, what? Traffic, there would be construction on the road. They'd decide to, you know, change something from year to year. And we never always had the most up-to-date map, which was always a challenge. And so I just have these memories of the entire trip to Anglesey, which was not more than maybe a couple of hours away, being completely stressful as the arguments ensued and trying to find our way there. We'd get there, ah, and now we set up the tent, which in the UK is normally in the rain. But still, we would have these fun, eventually, family trips. But to get there, we needed the roadmap, right? We needed that, that roadmap that would guide us. And of course, they were these big paper things and certainly no GPS to tell you off route, make U-turn, and all of those kinds of instructions that we get now. And I still managed to get lost, even with those devices. Do, do you guys? I remember when I moved here, we still didn't have those devices, and I had a, I, I think maybe Renee gave me a, a map one time. I'm looking for work. We weren't married yet. I'm staying at Lucille's house, and I don't know if I ever told Lucille this, but it once took me about an hour and a half to get back to her house. And I think I was just going out to fill up the car with gas. Because every mile, there's this intersection, and they all look the same. There's a Quick Trip and a Burger King, or was that a McDonald's? And it just, I couldn't get my mind around it. I was used to all the higgledy-piggledy roads of England. 
where everything was, was different. So a map is vital for us to travel around. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today because salvation's roadmap, and I touched upon this the last time um, I, I spoke, is, is the holy days. This is a map for us to understand where we're going, where we've been, and, and how to stay on the path that we should be following. We have lots of definitions about the holy days. We understand, I think, a lot, but I think there's a lot more to learn. There's a lot more to learn about the holy days uh, as, a, as a church, maybe prophetically, and then also personally for us. Because I don't know about you, but I always learn something new about myself and my walk as I come to each holy day every year. So I wanted to look at this concept a little bit more deeply today because God's plan is not just about saving the world, is it? That sometimes seems kind of too big for us. And there's lots of unknowns. We have prophecy. We have certainly the plan of salvation in the holy days. But there's, there's still lots of color and lots of definition that, that we don't see. The Apostle Paul says we see through a glass dark. So maybe we can just shrink this down to us personally. That the holy days are a specific plan for us personally, for our salvation. God's not just this distant being that created the world and then is off and doesn't care about us individually. We see that he cares very much about each one of us. His plan of salvation is personal. His plan is to save you. It's that simple. Times that by however many billions of people have been on this earth and are on this earth and will be on this earth. And that's how he saves the world. But he saves us all individually. So as I mentioned last time, I talked, I mentioned that the holy days are this salvation template, this salvation roadmap. And if we look at these days as a map in our Christian lives, where do we start? When we look at the map and we want to go from where we are to where we're going, where do we start? This isn't a trick question. At the beginning, right? We need to know where we are, and we'll start at the beginning. Okay, I need to go from here to here, and then a turn a left, and a right, and so on. So we know the direction that we're going to go. So, we start at the beginning. So that's where we're going to look. If you would, turn to Exodus chapter 12, and verse 2. Because we have to start where all of this salvation process and the plan of salvation in the holy days started. In Exodus 12, verse 2, it says, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. And that's important to notice here. This is God talking. He's saying, This month 
the month of Passover is in, Abib is going to be the first of months for you. So another way of saying that is, this is the beginning of the year. This is where the year starts. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and you shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. So this is the beginning of months, the beginning of the year, the beginning of our roadmap. And God specifically points that out. And I'm not so sure that he didn't specifically point that out because there was other calendars, right? The Egyptians had their calendar. The Babylonians had their calendar. All of the nations around about had their calendar. And they decided when the start of the year was, when the end of the year was, according to their practices and their religion. But God says, no, this is where you start. This is where it begins. Now I'm belaboring this point because what does mankind do? When God says, no, this is the beginning of months, mankind says, yeah, we want to we begin over here instead. Right? No, no. The beginning of months, the beginning of the year is here in the spring. Yeah, we want to do it in the fall or in the middle of winter. Right? We want to start where we want to start. God is pointing out to us, no, the 14th of Abib is that Passover start in that beginning of months when God signals that this is where our salvation begins. Think about it for the children of Israel. They have to do this and we know the rest of the story, right? If they didn't cover the doorposts with the blood, what would happen? The firstborn would be struck by God, even if they were of Israel. So, they had to start at the moment that God said for them to start. And of course, that particular generation of Israel had a lot of God's wonders that they had just seen, right? Nine different plagues. And now this is the last one. So they did start. But, but what if they had decided, no, 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 we, we want to stick with the Egyptian calendar. This isn't the beginning of the year for us. Would they have left Egypt? Maybe they would have. But they would have left without all their firstborns, wouldn't they? That would have been a terrible price and a terrible way to start off this plan of salvation that God had for them. And it's a terrible way for us to start. 
we're not willing to start at this place and recognize the sacrifice that is bound up in Passover, the blood of the Lamb covering us, the Lamb being sacrificed for us. This is the beginning of the Christian life, isn't it? We all have to come to this place where we recognize that Jesus was the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the earth. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, it says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we were enemies, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We come to this place recognizing that Christ has already died for us. He already did that sacrifice for us. We have to accept the covering blood. We have to accept it on our hearts and on our lives. So this is the starting point. This is not very new, is it? We know this. We've heard countless messages on this. But this isn't where we stop. And there's many Christian walks that stops here. Oh, Jesus, Jesus did everything. He covered us with his blood. I'm good. Once saved, always saved, doctrine, whatever you want to call it. But there's many a person convicted of this fact, recognizing of this fact, and then stops. Can that happen to us? Do we take the next step? Because the holy days give us a whole plan of salvation. It doesn't just stop right there with Passover. There's more to follow. So then what is next? Well, Jesus told us himself in John chapter 6, verses 48 to 58. It's in that great explanation that you'll, you'll remember. But so much so that there were people that couldn't tolerate it and actually left from following him because it was too hard. Are we in that same situation? Jesus said in verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread, pointing to himself, which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. 
the Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And then Jesus said to him, said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, I live because of the Father. So he also feeds, so, so he who also feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. It's so funny, humans are, are so different, aren't we? We have some that are poets and can see the, the poetry, the, analog, the analogies that Jesus is, is building here. And then we've got some that are very literal, who are literally asking, how can we eat his flesh? Right? And that, that seems maybe a little strange to us, except when you think of a tradition in the Catholic Church, where they actually believe that the wafer turns into his flesh. Right, so it's a very kind of (laughs) literal way of reading this. But what is Jesus really saying? What is he asking us to do? Do we understand what he is saying here? Because many of those that were listening to him didn't. They didn't get it. In the beginning of John... Chapter 1, verses 14 to 18, we we have the benefit of this, don't we? They couldn't just run over to John and say, hey, what you're going to write, can you tell us? So that we can understand what Jesus is saying. But we have the benefit of this. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory and the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. The word became flesh. That's how we eat the body of Jesus. That's how we consume him. And what's the purpose of that? Well, we are what we eat, aren't we? This isn't very complicated. We are what we eat. We are what we read. We are what we watch. We are what we listen to. Our beliefs our view of the world, how the world should be, what we think about things in life, is all based on everything that we have learned through reading, through the hearing. I ask myself the same question. Are we consuming the word of God 
equal or more than we are consuming the words of this world? That's a hard question to answer, isn't it? Do we turn on the TV, watch the endless news cycle with hatred, violence, literal violence, and hate-filled words from one side to the other? Do we look on Facebook or other social media and just hear argument after argument? None of those words, very few of those words, are from the Word of God. (laughs) Maybe I'm just on the wrong Facebook feed. Might be, uh, might be my fault. As you know, I have over time, I've blocked this, I've blocked that, I've blocked this person because they constantly post things, mostly my relatives that are all crazy. Okay, maybe not all of them. But I have, you know, blocked some folks, and you probably have too. But are there other sources in our life that we don't realize are the antithesis of consuming the word of God. Could, you know, there's nothing wrong with reading novels, but do we read novels at the expense of some Bible study? There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but that's up to you. How much of the word do we feast on? You know, one of the things that I would admit to is when I study, I study so that I can do this. So I'm preparing for a message, for teaching, and so on. And that's great. Need to, right? (laughs) You guys would let me know if that wasn't going on. But I miss a lot of times studying for me. And sometimes what I'm preaching about is what I need to hear, so don't get me wrong. But are we studying truly the Word of God? And just saying, ah. Filling my soul. I'm imbibing Jesus Christ, his character, his nature. The word came to become his flesh. Those words are full of wisdom, instructions, commandments, everything that we've possibly received from God. It's been written down. Uh, Just recently we watched a documentary on William Tyndale. And uh, Renee has been reading a book on William Tyndale. Just a tremendous blessing. And, you know, lots of times people will throw accusations about how valid is the Bible, right? Well, it's put, put together by man and so on and so forth. Some books were excluded and others included. And this is, a, this is certainly a fascinating uh, research that can be done on that. But God is able to bring his word to us through the ages, through the voices of imperfect beings. You know, there there isn't a word of scripture that truly wasn't transcribed by an imperfect being, right? God is able to bring that through history, through time, and deliver it to us. We believe it is his word. So we can... Eat on that word. Consume that word. Consume the word that is Jesus Christ. He is the bread of heaven. The unleavened bread that God has asked us to incorporate into our lives. 
Isaiah puts it this way in Isaiah chapter 55. He says, Ho, hey, pay attention, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And we do that. We spend money on things that do not fill us up. They just take us down. And your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me. And eat what is good. See the connection there? God is saying, listen carefully to me. And by doing so, we'll eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Personally, an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. I don't know what you guys do, but at the end of atonement, you know, I think we all have different traditions, right? Uh, maybe when I was a little younger, I used to just scramble for the nearest caffeinated beverage that I could you know, to try and get rid of that migraine. And maybe a large meal. I can't do the large meal anymore after fasting all day. But imagine the Word of God being that feast after being so starved in life for real nutrition. The word of God is that feast after the starvation of, of a fast, of things that, that don't satisfy. So, again, what if we discarded this unleavened bread and consuming of the word, consuming of Jesus? What if we just discarded that? Said, no, 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 we don't. We don't need to do that for salvation. Where would we be at the end of that? We have accepted Jesus as our Passover. We have accepted that covering of his blood. We started following the map. Next, we are to eat that unleavened bread, the word of God, so that we can continue to follow the map. We have to put on the character, the nature of Jesus Christ. And that is impossible to do without the word of God. It's just impossible to do without that. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, Paul says, Therefore we are buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Walking in the new steps that imbibing Jesus Christ builds into us. And we have to walk differently. Because our destination is different than what it was when we started. Before we stepped onto this path of salvation. We have to walk differently, don't we? We have to go in a different direction. 
as we follow this salvation map. And so following this holy day map and continuing following that map, we must learn how to walk in newness of life. We cannot learn without understanding and applying, as I said, the word of God. So if we followed the map, and we've been covered by the blood of the Lamb, we are released from the bondage of Egypt. Okay. We've begun to eat that bread of life. The nature of Jesus Christ. Is that enough? Did we just stop there? The map has several more stops for us to continue to follow. Because then comes what? Pentecost. The map leads us to a place that requires us to make a choice. Doesn't it? How many of you have been baptized? All of us made that choice, didn't we? We came to that moment, probably didn't feel like much of a choice. Where else are we going to go? But we came to that moment where we had to decide, yes, I am now going to be baptized. That is an individual Pentecost moment on this roadmap that we're following. Will I be baptized or not? Do I receive the Holy Spirit or not? Am I going to continue on this journey? I remember very distinctly, I actually don't remember the date, which is, I know, <laughs> kind of strange. Lots of people have noted down the date, but I, I've been lost to history. But I remember what happened when I chose finally to, to be baptized. I had, um, uh, I'd kind of been, you know, thinking about it, studying, asking questions, and, you know, lots of, lots of us have gotten to that place and maybe we're a little uncertain. Maybe we have some false ideas about, well, I've got to be perfect before I get baptized, things of that nature. But I remember coming to that place. And it was a very powerful place. It was, a, like I said before, that moment where I, I couldn't change direction. I couldn't really choose otherwise. It was almost as though the choice had been taken away from me. So, talking with the, the pastor of the church and with my mom and dad and so on, we, we picked the date. And uh, I don't know why, but I was allowed to pick the date. So I, 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 whatever date I picked, I, which I don't remember, <laughs> My mom said, all right, I'm going to go write this down. And she had a calendar, and she had a schedule. And it was a Christian daily calendar thing. It had, it had scriptures for each day. And so she went to the date, writing down Matt's baptism. And then she calls to me, and she's like, you're not going to believe this. On the date that she was writing it down, that we had chosen for the day of the baptism was this scripture from Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to read a little bit more than what was on there. 
starting in verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to, to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, You're going to baptize, I'm going to baptize you. I need to be baptized by you. I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permitted to be so now, for, the, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he followed him. Uh, then he allowed him, rather. And when he had baptized, uh, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and the lighting on him. And then this next verse is what was on the calendar that we were writing in the day for my baptism. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son. Very powerful to me. And you know, we've, we've probably all had similar experiences, maybe not around baptism, but around our Christian work, our faith. And it's God just saying, you're following what I'm asking you to do, and I'm, I'm pleased with you. And I'm here with you. So, yeah, my mom yelled out, you've got to come look at this. We looked, and we had a little moment, <laughs> and I will never forget it, even though I can't remember the date. But like I said, we've probably all had similar experiences. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, says, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. That's to all of us. It's to you, all the people that were hearing. It's to all those that were not in earshot, that had yet to hear. And throughout the ages since to each one of us, as many as our Lord, our God, as the Lord our God will call. What would our Christian walk be like if we skipped this step? It sounds ridiculous to even ask the question, right? Because how could you call it a Christian walk? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, if we didn't do that, if we didn't get baptized, I would see that following God's instructions, following the word of God would hopefully make us a little bit better person, right? But that's all it would do. That's all it could do. Because the critical next step has to take place. That Holy Spirit has to come in us. Because it's not about being a better person, is it? It's about becoming a completely new being altogether. God being. Born of, of, of God and through the Holy Spirit. So without the Holy Spirit, we can go no further. Before his trial and execution, Jesus was trying to prepare the disciples for what was going to come after. 
and not just immediately after, but through the rest of their life. And really, it's applicable for us in our journey as well, I think. Jesus said this in John chapter 15 and verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. This Helper, this Holy Spirit from the Father was going to come to them, and we, we saw that, that it came to them. And then dropping down into verse, uh, John 16, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, he said, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he will take of mine and declare it to you. The spirit of truth, the spirit of God, the helper, the power of God, allows us to understand things that we could possi couldn't possibly understand by just reading scripture. We desperately need that baptism. We desperately need the spirit and the power of God in us. But we desperately need to allow the spirit to work within us. You know, you look at the life of the disciples, you know, many of them, well, most of them had to endure very difficult lives after this. The honeymoon was over. After Jesus' resurrection, their work really began. And their struggle really began. And they had to do it in the spirit and the power of God. And I ask myself sometimes, would I be willing to be directed by the Holy Spirit like that, the way that they were? I mean, we, we're, we're comfortable in our houses, aren't we? We're comfortable in, in our lives and... Some of these men, they just left it and went to a whole new city and then they had a vision and they just followed that too. And the leading of the Holy Spirit took them around the world, the ancient world as it was. So it's not just that we have to receive that Holy Spirit, we have to allow it to work within us, to help us, to reveal things to us, to guide us. Pentecost, our own personal Pentecost, is baptism on that road map that we're following. It's a critical point that we all have to come to. We have to make that decision, that fork in the road, and we decide for that baptism as we continue our journey. And so here we are. Most of us in here have been baptized, and we, we stand beyond baptism, don't we, in our journey, journeying towards the next road mark, reading from our Holy Day map of salvation. We've arrived at Pentecost, and somewhere out ahead of us, through the woods of uncertainty, 
and across the plains of doubt, past the rivers of fear, and down through the valley of the shadow of death, there is another waypoint for us to reach. We just memorialized it, didn't we, last Sabbath, the day of trumpets. It's out there ahead of us. It's a little fuzzy. It's the haze of the atmosphere. We've got a journey to go to get there. It's a long way off. But as we get closer and closer, and as we climb each hill and each mountain, each difficulty we face in this Christian walk, we see that day of trumpets a little bit more clearly, don't we? With each trial conquered. And then beyond that, even more distant, is atonement. Atonement. And, you know, we think of that and we say, well, wasn't atonement already done? I had a friend of mine send me a text the other day. He, uh, he likes to give me a hard time about things. and He's kind of an engineer. Well, he is an engineer, so he's not always funny. And uh, he was trying to get together. He wants to just kind of catch up. And uh, I said, well, I can't, I can't visit on Monday. That's atonement. He's like, oh, well, I had my atonement 2,000 years ago. Hmm, not funny. But, you know, I, I understood where he was coming from. But there are things, and I'm going to leave it to Steve to talk about, and I promise not to take his material. There are things about atonement that haven't happened yet or have other meaning. In fact, all of these holy days, Steve and I were talking about it before services, have a past, a present, and a future. And it's incredible to think about. We know Christ has fulfilled atonement. The writer of Hebrews makes that very, very clear. But there are things about atonement he has not yet done. You know, one of the things, if I can just touch on it, is, is the, the atoning in the sanctuary, right? The atoning in the Holy of Holies. Everything in there is atoned for and cleansed. We live in a fallen world still. There's a lot of atonement still yet to be done, isn't there? So there is elements of atonement going off into the future. And then beyond that, well, there's another point on the map. Maybe our destination. Or maybe our temporary destination. We can't quite see it directly. But have you ever, have you ever been driving at night and you're driving towards a city and you're in the middle of the country and you can't see the city yet. But you can see where it is because it's making the clouds blow. Right? We are looking for that city, that new Jerusalem. It's just out of sight. But we can see the glowing that it makes in the sky. Now, for those of you that are more literal than others, don't take it too literally what I'm saying today. Because each one of these days, as I said before, has past meaning. It has present meaning. It has personal meaning. It has unique experiences for each one of us. And it has future meaning. 
prophetically and individually. And some of us are further along on this journey. Right? Some of us are a little further beyond Pentecost, heading towards trumpets. And, and others are just beginning, or just about to begin this journey. So maybe some of us arrive at trumpets a little sooner. Maybe some of us rest from the, drip, the, the trip a little sooner. As Paul told us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. You ever stop to think about that? He's like, you guys know what's going on here. You've seen this. You have the roadmap Of the times and the seasons, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or the darkness. Therefore, let us... Not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we should live together with him. Therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you are also doing. If we are in the grave when the trumpet blast sounds or if we are alive and remain as Paul says when the trumpet blast sounds we will arrive on the day of trumpets together. Saved saved and shown that salvation ahead of time through the plan of the holy days, through this map that we have as we are journeying forward towards that day. You know, I've often wondered why there isn't a holy day in the middle of the year. Why is there a gap? Why is it spring and fall? Why, is, why did God not put a holy day in the middle of summer. I mean, we all like summer vacations, right? What is going on there? And I've often looked at it as being kind of like, ugh, it's like a desert. Right? This is a spiritual desert. I think that may have been a wrong way of looking at it. We're on a journey. We're on a journey from Pentecost to Trumpet. But we're also in a process of growing maturing throughout this summer, aren't we? That's when the big growth happens. That's when the harvest happens at the end of that summer period. This is when things get, well, bountiful. That's when everything grows towards this big harvest, developing, growing, 
becoming more fruitful through the work of the Spirit of Christ Jesus in us. So it's not that this is kind of a wilderness devoid of holy days. We have one every week, don't we? We have the Sabbath every single week. This is a period, the summer, for us to grow, for us to mature. It's hard for us to see that sometimes. And yes, the sun gets hot. And we long for the cool days of the fall. They last such a short period of time here in Oklahoma, don't they? About two and a half days. We certainly long to be in the kingdom of God. We longed for that day of the day of trumpets and, and for that final full atonement to, to happen in the fall feasts. But Jesus said this in Matthew 13, 24. He said, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and so went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, do we do, you know, you put, did you not sow good seed in your field? And then does it, how does it have tares? And he says to them, well, an enemy has done this. And the servant said to him, do you want us to then go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. What are we growing? Are we growing wheat? Are we growing tares? Well, it all depends on what kind of seed is in us. And are we growing at all? Well, that kind of depends on if we're getting some water and if we're getting nutrition from the Word of God and if we're being led by the Spirit of God. I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I'd read that scripture, I would have a fear. I think I might be a tear, right? I'm not measuring up. I'm not good enough to be the wheat gathered in the barn. But I think we read it wrong when we read it that way. That's not what he's trying to get us to pay attention to. Jesus tells us who is responsible ultimately for our fruitfulness. I'm going to mix analogies here a little bit. But if you go over to John 15, we have the parable of the vine dresser. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that he bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. Listen to that line. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. We already have the seed of wheat. That's been planted already. He said, abide in me and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If, anybody does, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words... There's that eating of the words again. Abide in you. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. This is my Father. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Who's really responsible for the fruit and the growth of the fruit? It's not the branches. It's the vine and the husband. And what is their goal? Is it to look down amongst us and, eh, that's not good enough, and that's not good enough? Or is their goal, no, that's not bearing enough fruit. I'm going to take out the pruning shears, and, ow, it hurts, but you and I are going to bear fruit. That's the goal. And it's the husbandman and the vine that are responsible for providing for providing us everything that we need to bear fruit. We have one responsibility. Stay in the vine. Stay on the path. Just abiding in Christ Jesus. Following the path of the holy days. Following the words that we can consume and eat and, and bring into our lives. We just need to keep to the path. Let him guide us. Grow us, mature us, ready us for his return and trumpet. That's all we have to do is let him do his work in us. That's hard enough, but he will take care of the rest. When he completes us, when he cleanses us, when he will finally free us from the body of sin and death. Who's looking forward to that? I am looking forward to that. When all this world is rid of sin, when he has finally made an atonement for all things that are corrupt, that are sinful, and at long last he brings the kingdom of God. As the writer of Hebrews puts it this way, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race on that path that's been set before us, looking to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Let him do the work. He started it. He will finish it. We just have to let him work in us as we abide 